For those who are visiting, my name is Sam. I'm one of the elders, pastors here. And this morning's message is entitled, Being a Light in the Culture. It doesn't matter what culture you're in, you need to be a light in that culture. This is a message that is, I'm passionate about this particular message. And just by way of introduction, uh, as most of you know, we homeschool our daughter. And uh, the Homeschoolers Conference in Virginia, they always have their convention in Richmond. And this year, when we went to Richmond, they had a keynote speaker by the name of Ken Ham. How many of you have heard of Ken Ham, Answer in Genesis? Yeah, a lot of you. That's good. I've heard of him before and had listened to some of the stuff, but didn't listen to it completely because a lot of the stuff that he, that he shared didn't interest me at the time, even though I know it's a valid and an excellent ministry. Was a keynote speaker, he spoke about our culture, and some of the things he said, uh, God had already dropped in my heart for this message this week. And uh, he just confirmed it even more. And it was, I, I, I got a lot out of him this time than I ever had. And one of the things he said, he said, our culture is heading the wrong direction. With all our colleges and institutions and with all our churches and bookstores and all that, yet our culture seemed to be going the opposite direction through Hollywood and so forth and so on. He began to explain why. And one of the things he said, we're headed just like England is. And he showed a lot of clips of all the churches uh, uh, that were open at one point and that had now been abandoned. And even Muslim mosques had occupied them or they closed up and stuff. I mean, it was a lot. I was surprised. And the percentage of people going to church is, I, I think it's either 20% or less. I'm not sure the figure he gave. He's, then he showed clips of um, the United States, churches that was closed in the United States. One is many clips, but he said, we headed in the wrong direction. He said, how come things are not changing? With all the mega churches and all the ministries and all that, and he gave his answer, which the answer was good, and, and that began to drop a seed in me for what I'm going to share today. Now, our text this morning is coming from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let me read that right quick. <clears throat> it says, therefore, I urge you, brother, in the view of God's mercy, I'm reading from the NIV version, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Do not conform to our culture. If our culture is not in line with God's word, do not conform to it. He said, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This morning I'll be covering three points. Uh, these are three points. Number one, is this culture worth fighting for and saving? Point number two, there are spiritual forces, forces of doctrine that are trying to take our culture or our heritage from us. They are using individual groups and et cetera, one way ways it is being done is by philosophers that are counter to scripture. We'll be dealing with that. And the third point, which is, I will give an answer, I'll show you by one fundamental or foundational solution to the uh, cure of uh, cultural issues. And um, I'll be dealing with that. Now, let's start with number one. Is this culture worth fighting for or saving? I say yes. It was about several messages 
uh, ago, Pastor Willie was talking about how he had been overseas and different things, his experience. And he said he loved this country. I have the same sentiments. I've lived overseas. I work for the State Department, live overseas in India, most of you know. I would not be any other place. With all the bads, with all the goods, this is the best place for me. I don't want nobody else. I love this country. I say yes. Now, what I want to do is play a, about a five-minute clip on, we can talk about a lot of things that's good for this culture. I can talk about race. I can talk about a lot of things. I can share some things that are good about this culture. Even the worst in this culture is better than a lot of other places. Well, let's look at this clip right quick. These students want a recruiting office shut down. These claim that America went to Iraq for oil. The violence of the U.S. Imperial Army. Many people share Cindy Sheehan's beliefs. But what's the truth? Reasonable people can argue that our intervening in Somalia did Somalia and us no good. But we made a terrible mistake fighting so long in Vietnam. And that we shouldn't have invaded Iraq. That's what these students are upset about. Very often students will accost me and say, well, America has invaded all these countries. America invaded Grenada in 1983. America had troops in Bosnia. America invaded Iraq. And, and I say, well, if America has invaded all these countries, how come we don't own them? Good point. When the Romans invaded Europe, they kept it 400 years. They enslaved people. The Spanish plundered what they called the New World. And they made the native people their slaves. The British ruled India for 90 years. The British came to conquer and to rule. The French colonized Algeria. In fact, European countries took over most of Africa for 100 years. Russia conquered more than a dozen countries. And China still controls Tibet. By contrast, the American military again and again fought to achieve peace, and then we went home. This ceremony officially marks Mission complete. American troops go in, American troops pull out. Uh, we turn over the keys, they have their own election, they pick their own leaders. After we defeated Germany and Japan in World War II, we pulled out most of our troops and then spent billions sending them aid. Every other country in the history of the world, when it's defeated an adversary, it demands reparations. You know, pay us back for what it cost us to fight you and defeat you. What did the United States do at the end of World War II? The Marshall Plan, we took all, we sent money, no strings attached. The Marshall Plan signed by President Truman under which billions of dollars of American aid were thrown to the support of the free nations of Europe. And then we said, thanks, we don't want anything for it, we don't want reparations. Since that World War, America has acted like the world's policeman, going into places like Grenada, Kosovo, Panama, Bosnia, but we always left. From the moment Operation Desert Storm commenced... The first Iraq war only lasted until the American military got the Iraqis to leave Kuwait. President Bush refused calls to let our troops march into Baghdad. The war is over. And later, even when we were attacked, and after we bombed Afghanistan in retaliation, the military dropped food, tents, blankets. And President Obama has promised to pull our troops out of Afghanistan and Iraq. This war is ending. 
and all of our troops are coming home. Jail to the chief! Jail to the chief! George W. Bush was accused of ordering Allied troops into Baghdad to own the country. People say we went to Iraq to get the oil. Well, it hadn't worked out real well, has it? Because we're about to leave Iraq and we don't own those oil wells. In fact, fewer than 10% of the oil contracts the Iraq government signed have gone to American firms. Instead of commandeering oil wells, American soldiers build orphanages and water purification plants. Yeah, I'm, I'm a naval officer. My primary job is, is fixing ships. But now he's supervising school construction in Iraq. We could have gone in and decimated Saddam Hussein and taken off. That's probably what everybody else would have done. There was this idea that America has the responsibility to rebuild Iraq the way we rebuilt Germany, rebuilt Japan after World War II. I mean, that's not one of the obligations that comes with war, to take over the country and start rebuilding and giving it money, putting its buildings back up that you knock down. Typically, empires have come to loot, to pillage, to rule. If the Romans had employed a siege, they would essentially starve the population, then leave no stone unturned, kill the men, enslave the women and children. How common is it for one military power to be feeding the civilians on the other side? And look what the military does when there's a disaster. What happened when we had this tsunami in Indonesia? Who went? The American military. KT's daughter serves on a Navy destroyer. She emailed her mom about the kindness of the military. Our ships have doctors and corpsmen that will heal people. Our machines will make safe drinking water out of salt water or dirty water. Our chaplains can pray in your language and to your God. Now, that's not a military that's going out to conquer lands and bring home treasure. More than any other country, in protecting our self-interest, we are also trying to make the world a better place. And that's something else. Good about America. <laughs> now I picked that one thing because usually when they say when you talk about war, no one wants war. Carl, can you back me down a little bit? No one wants war. No one wants to go to war. No one wants to be in war. And if you can find something good in that, you can find some good all over. Um, the reason why our country treats the prisoners and uh, nations as we do, it's because of our Christian heritage. It started back in the 1800s. Now, are we a perfect people? No, we're not. America exceptionalism does not mean we're better than somebody else. We're no better than the Mexicans, the Africans, the Indians, the British. We're no better. But what God has done is taken all of us from those countries and brought us together and formed a nation that only by the providence of God could have, have succeeded. And it's because of that, our culture is rooted and based, its DNA is in the Judeo-Christian ethic. Christian principles, we cannot lose it. We cannot. Is this country worth fighting for? Yes. Yes, it is. There are so many good things about our culture. Did you know this? Let me ask a question. Did you know that the church used to control and approve of every script and movie that the Hollywood used to produce? Did you know that? I didn't know it. I just found it out doing research on this. Uh, message is in a magazine called Whistleblower. It's one that I, I read ever so often. It says this From the 1930s through to the mid 1960s, the church, both Catholic and Protestant, wear enormous clout in Hollywood. Clergy and laymen, representing both branches of Christianity, literally approve every script made in the motion picture 
made into a motion picture by the major studios until 1968. At that time, the churches voluntarily, voluntarily relinquished its powerful influence they had over the American culture. Why? Not because there were any pressure from the film industry. In fact, Hollywood moguls begged the churches to stay involved. They understood it was good, good for business. The involvement of the churches helped to ensure that the Hollywood produce, producers or films that produced films that would be received by the vast mainstream audience. Left to their own devices, the studio heads understood they could easily lose touch and that the artistic license could easily lead to lasciviousness. Yet I doubt any of them could have imagined how quickly the entertainment industry would plunge into the moral abyss. The results, two-thirds of all movies today are rated R. Few people go to movies today than, they, than after World War II. Only, a sky, only the skyrocketing ticket prices, video rentals, and television distribution have kept the industry rolling in profit. But is there anyone who would doubt Hollywood would be better off making higher profits if it was still producing movies as in the golden age? And it goes on to, goes on to show that economics had a little bit to do with it, but more so people came into the church with philosophies that was counter to the scripture and they relinquish it, and I had no idea. So the church has a role. The church is the key, pivotal uh, partner in producing a culture that would honor God. We have to be light in our culture, and that is so important. Now, point number two. There are forces that are trying to take our heritage from us. They're using individuals, groups, uh, parties, and one of the ways they're doing it is by uh, being able to produce philosophies that are counter to the scripture. If you do not know history, you will repeat the mistakes that you should or could have learned from past history. Let me share another quick video clip about our founding fathers and what they said about our country. Go ahead, Carl. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly implore His protection and favor. George Washington. He who should introduce into public affairs the principles of Christianity will change the face of the world. Benjamin Franklin. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Patrick Henry. It is the duty, as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation, to select and prefer Christians for our rulers. John Jay, the first Supreme Court Justice of the United States Supreme Court. The religion which has introduced civil liberty is the religion of Christ and his apostles. To this, we owe our free constitutions of government. Noah Webster. 
It is the duty of nations, as well as of men, to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history, that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. Abraham Lincoln. Now, when I was coming up, I didn't know any of this. We talked about Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, George, um, Washington, others, I had no idea of our Christian history, none. No one taught us. They taught me philosophies of this world. They didn't teach me what our nation was uh, built upon. And so what happens is if you don't know history, you're bound to make the mistakes of the past. So what does the Bible say about history? This is important. If you want to fight and do battle against philosophies that's counter to God's word, word and I'll explain a little bit more what I mean by that too. Well, let's, let's see what the Bible said. And Judges... Chapter 2, verse 10. This is coming from the NIV. This is during a period where the people did what was right in their own eyes. They went through cycles of sin, prosperous cycles of sin. I'm just picking one verse out of this right quick. It said, after the whole generation had been gathered to their father, they had died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Because they didn't maintain their history continuity, those people, one of the problems why they fell into sin and went into this cycle is because they did not know their history. They did not know. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 12, Paul is talking to Corinth. The Corinthians have a lot of problems. But one of the problems, uh, one of the solutions Paul was sharing with them is history. He says this, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that was the rock of Christ. This was the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness. In the New Testament, they are called the church in the wilderness. Okay, verse 5. It said, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, these things occur as an example to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Notice verse 6 said, now these things occur as an example, not only to the Corinthians, but for us, so that we won't set our heart to do the things that they do. So evidently, somebody in the church of Corinthians was setting that heart, was doing some things that was wrong. Paul used it and showed as a culture, Corinth, you can't let the culture shape you. You must shape the culture. And if you don't do this, it's going to hurt you. Then he goes on to say, he explained what, what, what he's saying. Verse 6 again. Now, these things occur as example to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan robbery. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. That's a lot of folks in one day. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble or complain, as some of them did, as were killed by the destroying angels. Now notice verse 11. It said, these things happened to them as an example. Were written down as warning for us. For us, on whom the fulfillment of the age to come. So if you think you stand firm, be careful that you don't fall. So... Paul is telling the Corinth, if you think you stand, you're going to do this? 
It's already been done. You see the result. Don't do it now. You need to understand history. So according to the scripture, it is important that you understand history. Now, I know you don't know all the history, and neither do I. But you should be able to have resources, contact with people, because the culture is asking questions. And I'll share with that a little bit more. Now look at another verse. This next verse is in Judges. And it'll help us to show us some things about how to handle history and what to do. Some key things here. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 1, we may have that on the screen. If not, I'm going to read it. This is during the time when Joshua took over from Moses' position. He became the leader. And God asked him to cross Jordan. And God opened the Red opened the Jordan, just like he did the Red Sea. And this is what God did for him. Verse 1 said, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men and from among the people, from one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from the right where the priest stood, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So they were to go in, one person represent each tribe, get a stone, and take it, and take it over to where they were going to be at next. So Joshua, verse 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the, from the Israelites, one from each tribe, verse 5. And he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel, verse 6, to serve as a sign among you. Notice it said, that stone was to serve as a sign among you. That's key. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you would tell them what these stones mean. All right, let's jump over to, I'll tell you what, no, let's keep continuing. I'm going to read one more verse, verse 7. Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Now let's go over to verse 19. It says, On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. Verse 20, notice. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? And verse 22 Tell them, Israel crossed over Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea. When he dried, dried it up before us until we had crossed over. Verse 24. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. So that you might always fear the Lord or fear God. And that is important. This is what I call stones of remembrance. Stones of remembrance. When I give my testimony to my family, at least once a year, somewhere then, that's a stone of remembrance. I want them to know. You know, that's why my daughter said, we don't heard it, Daddy. You're going to hear it again. Because they need to know how I got over, what God did for me. I want always the nice, charming person that I am now, you know. <laughs> That God dealt with me, that I've had issues, that I'm, you know, I know some of the things you're going to go through. But this is what God does, a stone of remembrance. Each one of you should have a stone of remembrance. Now, let me ask you a question. What is history? 
History is God's providence and humanity. What we do in school, we make a mistake. We study history with dates and facts and stuff like that. We don't include God's providence. We used to teach that years ago. It makes history more interesting. Why do we have math? Why do we have biology? Why do we have law? Do you know Christianity has the answer to all that? And there's a reason for all this. We don't teach it in school. Well, how are you going to be a light? There are people rising up in our culture, young kids. They got questions. I mean, just one little boy asked me and said, Sam, how could Noah put all those animals in the ark? It's a million roaches. I said, you're right, son. <laughs> you're right. Is there an answer? There is an answer to that. And that's a little question, and it's a good question, because adults ask those questions. So stones of remembrance. What are stones of remembrance in our culture? Or what could we say are Christian uh, memorials? Right now, I'm going to ask you a question. What are some? What, what would you say some? I want you to speak to me. What would you say? I'll give you one. Just start you off. The Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments just hang on all the public buildings. But vain philosophies that the devil used to put in people's minds to say, oh, we can't have that for whatever reason. Name me some more. Say it again. Who said? In God we trust on our coin. Somebody put that there for some reason. Do you know the reasons? Give me another one. Pledge of Legion. Give me another one. Somebody said, I think the cross. What about emblems on flags? Do you know our constitutions, when the states came into existence, established a state, and they written a constitution? Do you know just about every one of them named the name of Jesus Christ? I mean, they were strong, saying we come into existence, glorify God, so forth and so on. You don't read about that anymore. And some of them still have it there. You just don't know it. Well, what's the purpose of them? Well, so we can tell a story. We can tell. You don't remember them all, but you, you, you can tell. Let me give you an example. This was a sad one. I had my wife to see this. Uh, on Jay Leno, what is a stone of remembrance that we, we do every year? Several of them we do, but this one just happened. Just, we celebrated what? Fourth of July. Now, if I was to ask you some of the same questions Jay Leno asked these people, uh, I hope you would get the answer. But... I saw on a clip that he asked this one man. He asked several people, but this one man is one I heard about, and I saw the clip. I had to go see it to believe it. And he asked him, said, why do we celebrate 4th of July? He didn't know. He, I mean, he beat around the bush. I mean, he couldn't tell him. So Jay said, look, is your wife here? He said, yes. Who do the homework? He said, she does. We'll call her up here. Should she come up? He asked her, why do you celebrate the 4th of July? And uh, she said, I don't know. And she couldn't tell. He asked her several other questions. So he asked, he said, is anybody else here? He said, my gr grandfather here, grandpa here. So he bring him up. So he brought him up. He asked him. He said, we celebrate 4th of July, separate from Great Britain, and so forth and so on. Asked him a ton of questions. I mean, he was right on, right on. We don't lost that generation because they're not teaching. They're not sharing. Why do you need to know that? Because the 4th of July shows God's providence in history, and that we should never forget that it's the Lord that God that brought deliverance to us. It's the same as he did the chosen people of Israel. We should never forget it. That should be taught. And some of the other people that he asked questions, oh man, it was, it was ridiculous. It was embarrassing. And it was funny. It was funny. Matter of fact, that, that grandpa that he told, he said, look, stop the show now and take your family on and teach them this, you know, so forth. I think there was at, a, at a, some carnival someplace they were showing, but 
It was interesting. And so you yourself should be a stone of, of remembrance. You yourself. You should have a testimony that you share. How else is your children going to know? How will they know unless you share it with them? So that's important. Now, the next um, slide, I think if they got it up there, it shows, that's it. It's a, when it comes to philosophy, it's a basic two philosophy. There's God's word, which is Christian philosophy, and there's man philosophy. Under man philosophy, there's what I call worldviews. There's a communist, socialist, there's a he, um, what is humanist, new age worldviews. And a lot of people fit in those views, and they don't know it. It's a systematic thinking that uh, people have, and they respond based on that. The next slide. And those who have the view of evolution, that evolution is real. That's, so do you know I can take the giraffe and disprove evolution? Just the giraffe alone can disprove ev evolution. There's a bug that sprays a liquid that I think he defends himself and shoot off. You can take that bug and disprove evolution. And just in case you want to know how, we're going to have a life group coming up in September. <laughs> I'm going to plug in for my life group. You see what's that evolution termite? They turn at the root cause of the word of God. And we can't, we can't let that. If you're going to be a light in your culture, you've got to be able to address the issue. On one side, where it got man's opinion, I don't care what worldview it is, it leads to these things. On the other side, with a Christian worldview, it leads to other things, which is God and stuff. All right, what a vain philosophy. According to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, and this is the number one reason why I homeschool, or one of the number one reasons. I could give you a lot of reasons, but this is one of Colossians 2 it says, see to it that no one take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depends on human tradition and the basic principle of this world rather than on Christ. And that is important. You don't want nobody to take you with vain philosophy. And it's happening. You've got to recognize it. You have to recognize it. And before I go any in, 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 in further, I just want to say to you that Pastor Willett will be back next week. He is, he is celebrating his anniversary. When I mention something about homeschooling, my wife does most of the homeschooling. I'm at work. She does. I want to give her credit. And I want to say thank God for her because we just celebrated our 21st anniversary. Thank God for this lovely wife that God brought in my life. I tell you, God spoke to me in prayer while I was praying for the president. And he said, I brought Stella in your life. She'll do you good all the day of your life. And he, did, and he said several other things. And that is the truth. I got to increase economically when I <laughs> married my wife. <laughs> but she had put up with me for 21 years, and I thank God for her. She's a jewel. She's my sweetheart. She's my lover. She's my partner. She's my friend. She's my all in all. I, got, I can spend now throughout eternity learning that lady right there. I don't need no other woman. I couldn't do with another one anyway. But she's, she's the one. So I just want to thank God for it. This is the scripture, vain philosophies. Now, this is the reason why I chose to homeschool. Because I want to put the philosophies that, as much as I can of God into my daughter. Now, just because you don't homeschool, that don't mean you can't do it. It's just, you're just having a battle. And some of the school teachers in here, they'll tell you. So this is scripture. This is why I did it. Let's look at the next chart. Here in this next chart, we're going to deal with the 
uh, third point, and that's showing the answer, I believe, fundamental answer to our situation in our culture. Here you see, you see two castles. You see here where the Christian, on the Christian side on the right, we're shooting the bullets. We're saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And on the left, with the other worldviews, particularly uh, um, evolution, they're shooting, they're not only telling us, you know, we're right, right, but they're shooting at our foundation. We can't, we can't keep going. We can't just shoot at issues and stuff. And what they're doing, they're knocking the foundation out. That's why a lot of things in our culture that we used to have, we don't because of that. Let's go to slide, next slide. Here's the solution. Instead of just shooting up here saying this is wrong, that is wrong, let's shoot at that foundation too. Let's take the word of God and say the word. This is the reason why it's wrong. This is right. Because thus says the Lord. Because the scripture says this. Because the scripture says that. Now there are certain cases where you talk to someone just like at my job. I got people worship false idols. I mean literal carving images. It's not just hearsay. I got people from Africa, from India, from Pakistan. I, this is the most diverse company I've ever worked with. So they're culture sensitive about a whole lot of stuff. A lot of stuff you wouldn't know, you wouldn't think would be sensitive, but to them they are. But with all that, all their worldviews, they know I'm a Christian because I stand for Christian things and I share what God said. And some of them sneak in my cubicle to ask me questions and I give them the answer. And I like that. So we got to deal with the, we got to deal with their issues and we got to touch their foundation and not let them knock our salvation off. Well, this is how we're going to do it. Let's look at the next, shot, next slide. Our thinking in every area must be Bible. Must be Bible. Must be Bible. And so that means you got to know what the Bible says concerning areas in our culture. We must be disciples who have a Christian worldview and are able to answer and deal with the questions and issues of our day and our culture. The scripture has something to say about law. We live in the area of law, biology, and all these um, disciplines in life. It's just some, let's say, if uh, Jason was a lawyer, then Jason would be involved with law more so than I would. I'm in the telecommunication area, so I would be involved with that. It doesn't matter. God has something to say about it all. So in closing, we want to deal with a couple things here. So to help you apply what I'm saying, help you get a better understanding, I'm going to ask you two questions. Do you know what the Bible says about our culture issues? What are some of our culture issues? Here's a list of some of our culture issues. Abortion, AIDS, balanced budget. We, I mean, we're talking big time about balanced budget. Do you know what the scriptures say about that? Uh, I had, uh, I think Gloria Goo, she mentioned something at, at the Robbins home. She said, you know, I just found a scripture that says something about usury, loans and use. Do you know what the scriptures say about that? You should know. If not, you should be able to contact or, or find some resource Come to my life group. Here's one that's propping up. Socialism. Is socialism biblical? If not, you can't just say it's wrong. I mean, you can say it. But why is it wrong? What is the scripture foundation? I was in a grocery store, and there was a young man whose, whose company is going out of business, or at least some of the departments, and I think he's on the list. Somehow we got to talking about our time now, and socialism come up. And I mentioned something that it was wrong. While I was in the grocery store, he said, what's wrong with it? It just shocked me, flowed me. In my thinking, everybody knows socialism is wrong, and yet it's creeping up. How do you answer? How do you answer that? What about collective salvation? 
How many of you ever heard of collective salvation? How many ever heard of liberation theology? It's creeping his head up. Do you know what the Bible say? Do you know how to answer what the Bible say? <clears throat> you should know. Now, are we a Christian nation? Don't answer that. There are people asking that question. There are people saying we're not. Are we a Christian nation? Can you prove that you're a Christian nation? Come to my life group. Starting in September, we have a life group. And our number one reason on Sunday mornings from 9 to 10 is to deal with these issues. To come. I'm going to do you like I did Pastor Willie. When full Pastor Willie, when he came to church, he keep telling y'all that I disciple him. And you know, at that time, I wasn't looking at so much disciple. I was looking at he had questions. So he, he asked me something, and I pumped the scripture at him. If I didn't have the scripture, I thought I said, I said, oh, go listen to that tape, and we'll come back. But that's how I did it. When you come to my life group, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to answer the question. Everything I've told you, I can answer right now if I want to. If I don't have the answer, I know who do. And so that is important. Let me, let me share something else with you. These are questions that middle school asked. It was this youth friend of mine at work. Where is heaven? If God talked to people back then, then why don't he talk to us now? It's middle class. This one good one right here, is there really a unicorn? Do you know the Bible says something about unicorn? Come to my life group and I'll tell you what it says. And it's a ton of, a ton of, couple of them I would not tell you. I'm going to tell you that now. Here's the questions that was asked at, I think it was Harges Baptist Church. Here's a question. If God exists, how can we know for sure? That's a good question. People ask, that's a dark question. What all sincere belief leads to God. In other words, how can Christians have the gall and the tenacity to say that Jesus Christ is the only way? What about all these other people? How do you answer that? How do you answer that? What about Buddha and all these others? How would you answer? Now, there's two ways you can answer. You can answer straight from the Bible if somebody tells you you got that opportunity. Like some jobs you work, you can't just quote scripture. Well, there's another way you can answer. You can do like Paul did on Morris Hill. Paul went into a community, and there were all kinds of idol statues. And there's one that stood out and said, unknown God. And Paul said, I perceive that you worship a God called the unknown God. Let me tell you who that God is. He's the God that, that created the heaven and earth. He didn't quote verse, but yet that's Genesis and 1 John 1. And then he went on, went on. So it got so good, they said, holy, these are dignitaries, a philosopher. Come over here and talk to us. He went over and talked to them. He did the same thing. But then he brought in scripture and said, at the end, said, when he talked about the resurrection of the Lord, said, some believed and some did not. That's fine. It's not your job. Your job is to share. God is the one that will take it and reap it up, you know, bring it forth and stuff. We just got to be available to share. If you don't share, they'll never know. So that's important. So in our life groups, my life group, we're going to be dealing with those issues. Let me ask you this. What does the scripture say about um, pornography? That's pretty easy. Faith and morality. Uh, infanticide. Trade. Taxation. Creation. Do you know what the scripture say? Could you answer somebody if they ask you? Once again. Come to my life group. <laughs> they say according to Bonner research, 77% of the people who get saved are saved before the age 21. And of that 77, 90% leave the church at some point and only 20% ever return. Church attendance seemed to jump in age from children and teenagers to the mid-30s. This has resulted in a missing generation of only 
20s to the early 30s from our churches. For every 100 teenagers you meet, only four claim personal faith in Jesus Christ. That is sad. We're missing something. We're not answering their questions. Now, their questions could be from a moral point, point of view, a character point of view, which we seem to have a little bit easier to do. But either way, when we answer the question, you've got to point them to Christ. Some way, somehow. We have to do it. We have to, have to do that. Well, there is one group, and this is to help you to apply what I'm saying. Not only you can come to our life groups. We're going to start life groups in September. And just so happened, my life group, since I got the floor I can share about, is we will be dealing with culture issues. We'll be the, all those that say we'll be answering those things. But there is a group that we have started, and we're going to continue. And that group, have your tape. It's a DVD I'm, I'm going to share just a few minutes of. It's called the American Heritage Girls. Let's just see this for just a few minutes. American Heritage Girls was founded in 1995 to provide girls the moral compass so necessary to navigate the cultural seas of today. AHG is a Christ-centered scouting organization that partners with local churches, private schools, and other community agencies, all to serve girls ages 5 through 18. It allows us an outreach to the community beyond the young, young women that are involved in our church to their friends and their neighbors and their classmates and allows us to uh, present to them uh, activities, um, uh, programs, uh, camping and development of leadership skills uh, in, the, uh, in a scouting program uh, that gives our church a great deal of direction because the people that are involved in our church and our leaders in our church have been able to take this and incorporate a number of people in the community into their work. Through the vehicle of scouting, girls are taught leadership and life skills that will enable them to put legs on their faith or to develop a relationship with God when one does not exist. Faith-filled adult leaders facilitate the program while girls learn to spread their wings in the secure setting of an all-girl environment. The thing I value the most with American Heritage Girls is the spiritual side of it. I really um, can't even tell you how much that has impacted me and what, what my role is as a leader. I really believe that if we're going to build women of integrity, we need to build Okay, we're going to have, uh, Joel, could you come up? Bobby today that has flyers and information on it in case that's something that you're interested in doing. 
I wanted to let you know that we are going to be passing out the information, but the registration day is soon approaching. It'll be September 11th from 9 to 11. That's a Saturday, not a Sunday. So it gives you time for you to ask questions and find out all of the details, which you can do now in, the, in advance. But it'll be a time where you can really get to know the leaders and see exactly what's going to be happening. So it's easy to remember. It's 9-11 from 9 to 11. So September 11th, we'll see you there. Thank you, Joe. Uh, the American Hatchers Girl, my daughter, has been part of it. And I'm going to tell you, it's, it's terrific. Let me tell you, when my daughter come to me and said, Daddy, I want to go camping, I thought something was wrong with her. Because <laughs> she's not talking about going camping like I like to go camping. I, now, this is what I call camping. Let you go in the woods, play Jim Bowie all you want to. Let there be some woods between me and the tent. I want Holiday Inn. I won't be up on the sixth floor and watch y'all. Now, I invite y'all in, you know, if you want to get warm. But that's my idea of, of camping. Stand on the ground. When I was in the Boy Scout, I stayed on the ground and I slept. It was fun, but I got rheumatoid arthritis. Cold got in my joint. It crippled me as a child. I said, I'm having backlashes. But let me tell you this. Thanks to Jesus Christ, I've been, when I got saved, he healed me completely from rheumatoid arthritis. There was no cure in the beginning. There was nothing I could do, thanks to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have nothing against the Boy Scout and camping. I just don't want to go sleep on the ground. So when my daughter called me and she said she wanted to go camping, I thought she was joking. And then had the nerve say she wanted to go up in the Appalachian Mountains. You know, there ain't no communication up there. In my mind, I'm thinking about bears, lions, and so forth and so on, you know. And she wanted to, she was determined to do it. And I couldn't believe it. That couldn't have been my daughter. That's her daughter, but it couldn't have been mine. Because <laughs> we ain't going out there in them woods. But she was determined. And like a good mother, she packed her heavy. I mean, you thought, now I'm in the military. I've curved a heavy patch. She had a heavy pack. So when we got to the location to take her on, we had to unload some of the stuff. It was just too much stuff. She, she went on. She goes, and when she come back and told us the things that she went through, I would not have let her go if she had told me those things were going to happen. But she was prepared, and she loved it. And so I thank God for the Heritage uh, Girls. It's an excellent program. Something else, too. Uh, the children. I'm concerned about the children and as they go out to youth and stuff, the questions they're asking. So next year, what I'm looking at is getting a, curriculum, a, a curriculum that can answer those questions at their age. It's called apologenesis, answering genesis, their curriculum. They're coming out with one. I'm hoping that it'll be a good one for us so we can look at from zero all the way to 21. We have curriculum that's going to answer those questions, that'll help them to weave through the maze of issues they have in their life. So what are we going to do? There are some things you can do. You can come to the life groups. You can join Heritage Girls for, for your girls. And there's other things you can do. Where here's, whether you do that or not, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, 15. Let's look at that. That should be up. It said, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal possessions in Christ through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are God's aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, those who are, who are perishing. Now, according to scripture, this pastor used this scripture for a message a couple uh, weeks or so past. And the key here is that it said, through us spreads everywhere 
the fragrance of the knowledge of him. You got to be ready everywhere to spread the knowledge of him. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It said, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that, it, that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be able to give a reason, give a solid biblical reason, an intellectual solid biblical reason for the hope within you. Why do you do what you do? Or what is the answer to uh, our cultural issues? And then return to our main text, Romans chapter 12, as I close. Verse 2 is the key thing. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Don't conform to the dating patterns of our culture. It's not good. Don't do it. Conform to the scripture patterns and that'll help you. It said, do not conform to any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. If you don't be transformed by the renewal of your mind, I'm telling you that you're going to be subject to our culture. Let's stand, please. Could I have the prayer team up here? All heads bowed, eyes closed as we close in prayer. This morning as I talk about the culture, as I talk about... Um, cultural issues and stuff like that, philosophy, vain philosophies. You may have philosophies in your mind and your heart that are not right. If so, I'm going to pray a general prayer for you. And then, if I was you, I would come forward to confess those for the prayer team and they can pray more for you. You may have a philosophy. It ain't too long ago that I thought cavemen exist for some reason. But when I realize what the scriptures say, it's, it's wrong. There are other philosophers that's much deadlier than that. You may have in your mind. And the scripture has the answer. God, as we come before you, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father, we want to honor you in all that we do. And I pray now for your people. I pray, Father, that those who have the philosophy that they don't need Jesus, and yet they need you. I pray that they would give their life to Christ today. For some of you who have philosophies that are contrary to the word of God, you know who you are. Your thinking has to change. Your thinking has to be renewed. So I'm asking you before God, talk to him. Father, I pray that you bless your people. Help them to see the truth of your words, Lord. And bless us, Lord. As we prepare to leave, I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.